Now, if you've been coming to St. Mark for a while, you know that when I preach, I, I typically preach without notes. And yet there are some times where the sermon that's been prepared, the message that's been written, and the, and the subject matter of it just feels to me like the kind of thing that I should stick to my notes. <laughs> and, and today, the, the reason that, that you'll probably see me reading more than simply preaching is because I've been wrestling deeply with this conversation. And up until the last moments before the first service, I was praying and wrestling and writing these words. Because today in this message, and, but also really in this whole series, I'm inviting you into something that, that I am wrestling with, that I'm trying to figure out. And I want you to wrestle through it with me. And so many of these ideas are fresh and new, which is why my eyes may be here. I've been thinking about what it means to live simply. And the more I wrestle with the scriptures, the more I study the teachings of Jesus, the more I am convinced that simplicity of living is something that Jesus longs for his followers to experience. I think of the words of Matthew 11, where Jesus makes this offer. He says, if you're willing to learn from me, I will lighten your burden and give you rest. Now, my conviction is that this, this lighter load, this, this restful living, doesn't come from taking on a list of things that God says we should do, you know, 10 quick steps to an easier existence. In fact, it's the opposite. It comes from believing the gospel. It comes from believing the message that Jesus Christ has fought all the battles that matter and he has given the victory to you. And no, you don't deserve it. No, you have not earned it. You have empty hands and broken hearts and sin-stained lives. So do I. And yet, the victory that Jesus has won, the victory for forgiveness and the victory over death, he just gives it to you because God loves you. He loves you and he loves you and he gives the victory of Jesus to you. It's yours. The, the easier burden, the restful living comes from believing that message and that message as it soaks into our lives, it frees us, hear me, to do less, to let go, to slow down, and to focus on the things that truly matter. The message of salvation lightens our load by freeing us to simplify our lives. And this is not a new thought. Followers of Jesus for millennia have seen Christianity and simplicity as, as going hand in hand. But in recent years, as, as faith in Jesus has mixed deeply with modern Western culture, with our emphasis on success and achievement and attaining an easier life through acquiring more power and possessions, the simplicity of life that's meant to flow from the work of Jesus has gotten clouded if not lost altogether. So, so here's the question that I'm wrestling with for myself, just quite honestly. 
What if we tried to bring it back? What if we, what if we, I and, and you and us together, what if we wrestled with the question of this? How does the work of Jesus free me to live simply? How does it free me to simplify? And I'm talking practically. How does it free me to simplify my schedule? How does the work of Jesus free me to simplify my speech? The words I say. How does it free me to simplify my spending and my keeping, even the way that I dress and and the fun that I have? How does the, the message of Jesus free me to live with greater purpose and joy and ease and simplicity in the everyday realities of life? That is what I'm wrestling with. Now, fair warning, if you join me in this experiment over the next few weeks, you are going to have to join me in putting your life on the table, so to speak, and and be willing to try some things out, okay? Now, so where do we begin? Where does simplicity, a life of freedom driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where does it start? Well, here's here's what I would say. I think it starts here and it starts here. Before it changes anything that we do out here, it starts in the heart and it starts in the mind. And, and you have to admit that as modern people, despite all of our conveniences and all of our accomplishments, despite all the things we now have and, and how evolved we now are, our hearts and our minds are a mess. If I were to give you a list and ask you to to choose from this list the words that best describe your inner life, your heart and mind, which would you choose? If I said scattered, anxious, insecure, negative, angry, which, which words would you choose as best descriptors of your inner life, your heart and mind? Many people would choose all of the above. There was a comedian on Twitter, I saw this the other day, who captured the inner life of many modern people very well when he said this. He said, every time the doorbell rings, I have three thoughts. Number one, it's a murderer. (laughs) Number two, it's the police who have come to tell me that every single person I love has died. Number three, it's Amazon delivering the book on positive thinking that I just ordered. (laughs) Our hearts and minds are a mess, folks. Now compare that to the invitation that Paul gives to us in Colossians chapter 3. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you feel like the peace, the everything is going to be okay, vibe of eternity is ruling and reigning in your heart and mind. And you see, that's the key. You see, our hurried and our divided lives, where we're constantly scrolling this or obligated to that or saying, well, I must have this, I can't miss out on that, it flows from being divided and hurried and cluttered and confused in our hearts and our minds. What we need is for the peace of God to reign and rule in here so that it might shape the money we spend, the pace we keep, the clothes we wear, the words we say, the things we enjoy 
out here, but it starts in here. All of those things, by the way, we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. But first, our journey towards simplicity begins with the pursuit of peace in heart and mind. Now, how do we get there? Well, I think it comes down to one thing. It comes down to the eyes. Follow me on this. This is Jesus' teaching, not mine. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And what Jesus is saying is this. What you focus on out here, it fills you. It shapes you. It affects you in here. The eye is the lamp, shines a light into the body. So if you're, if you're looking at distracting, unhelpful, meaningless things, it's going to feed you with distracting and unhelpful and ultimately meaningless anxieties and worries and concerns. What you look at, what you focus on out here, fills you in here. And you know that this is true. Think about how you feel after an hour of sitting on the couch just scrolling your phone. Do you feel better? No. And if you say yes, you are a liar and this is church. Because <laughs> I've got some science for you. There was a study published in December of 2018 in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. It found that there is, quote, a causal link between the use of social media and depression. A causal link link between the use of social media and depression. What we focus on out here affects us in here. So later, Jesus is, is teaching, and he's, he's talking about having more of that, that peace of heart and mind in your life. And he, he famously says, don't be anxious. We're all turned around in heart and mind about everyday things. Don't be anxious about clothing and food and health or other things. Now, what does Jesus tell them to do? Remember, for Jesus, it's all about the eyes. It's all about your attention. What does he tell them to do? Does he just say, stop being anxious? No. He refocuses their attention. He refocuses their eyes. He says, in essence, your, your attention is the issue. You're staring obsessively at your possessions. You're focusing constantly on your position in life relative to other people and your accumulation of more. And, and look at what it's getting you. It's getting you exactly what you're experiencing. All the anxiety, all the stress. Look at other things. Look at the birds, he says, the flowers, the grass, and see how God cares for all of it. Get your eyes off of yourself and see what God is doing around you to care for the world. But then, then he gives them what I think is the secret to a heart and mind ruled more by the peace of God. He says, put your focus ultimately in one place. If you've grown up going to church, and some of us have, you know these words, Luke 12, 31, seek your father's kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, disciples, followers, you are free to have a singular, simpler focus 
in life. Give your attention, your first and your best attention to God's kingdom and the peace that you're pursuing through all these other things will be your possession. That's what he's saying. Followers of Jesus are invited to have a simple, if not singular, focus. It is the kingdom of God. And this focus on the kingdom of God grants peace. And that peace then flows through your hands and off your lips and through your eyes. And it changes how you live. Now, the right question to ask here is this. Matt, what do you mean, or rather, what does Jesus mean by the kingdom? And how in the world do I sharpen my focus, my attention to be on that thing? Excellent questions. You guys are a really smart group. Here's what you need to remember. That whenever Jesus mentions the kingdom, and he uses different phrases, sometimes it's my father's kingdom, sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the same thing. The kingdom, whenever Jesus is talking about it, is not a place. It's an activity. A kingdom is wherever the king is reigning and ruling. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about the reigning and ruling activity of God. So what is Jesus saying? Focus your attention, your inner life, on the activity of God in this world. And who is the ultimate expression of the activity of God in this world? It's Jesus. So, so here's what Jesus is saying. If you lock your eyes on anything, if you're... Co- focus is going to be consumed by anything, let it be what the Father has, is, and will do for you through me. Seek first the activity of God on your behalf through Jesus Christ. That's what is meant by these words. Now, you and I have to admit that that our eyes, our attention rather, is obsessed with dozens of different kingdoms every single day. And each of these kingdoms has its own king telling you what's important and making a series of demands. For example, you may have a colleague, a particular colleague that you work with that you are constantly comparing yourself to. That that colleague and that, that world that you're comparing yourself to, that's a kingdom. And your colleague is the king. And every time you focus on them and wondering what they're doing, and you ask yourself, well, how does this reflect on me? Who am I in relation to them and all the things that they're accomplishing and the attention they're getting from the boss? That is their kingdom and that king reigning and ruling over you. Or maybe you're someone who really gets caught up in like pop culture or celebrity gossip or the antics of the the housewives or the below deck crew on Bravo. You know who you are. And you're always staring at what these other people who live these different kinds of lives are doing. Well, Well, that's a kingdom. And the people in that world, they're kings in a sense that their reign and rule and activity is, is ruling and shaping you as you watch their lives and you compare it to your own. Or maybe you do this. Maybe there are some people on social media that you follow just because you love to hate on them. 
There, there's, a, there's, there's someone that I know really well. She, um, she hate follows a girl on Instagram and Facebook that she went to high school with. Now, she hasn't been in high school for like 20 years, okay? She, she hate follows this girl. You know what hate following is? You look at their every post, their every status update, their every picture, just so you can pick at that wound and go, oh, they're awful. I hate them. You know what that is? That's a kingdom. And that person is the king of that kingdom, and their activity is reigning and ruling over you. Any, any given day, we have dozens of kingdoms that we're giving our attention to, and dozens of little kings who are who are telling us what we should think and how we should feel and making us feel poorly, ultimately, about ourselves. And what's the end result of that? You are anxious and you are overwhelmed and you are insecure in your heart and mind. And ultimately, you are saying to yourself every time you divert your focus to these other kingdoms as if they're of utmost importance, you are saying to yourself in the end, I don't know if I'm enough. And what Jesus is saying is, Pull your eyes from these things and give your best attention to one thing. What I am doing for you. Now, now the next question to ask is this. Maybe you're new or new-ish to Christianity. The next question, if that's you, to ask is this. Well, well, well what is Jesus doing for me? Or what has he done for me? What does he promise in the future for me? Well, well this, this gets us to what like the gospel, the, the good news actually is. Let's look at the reigning and ruling activity of God through Jesus Christ, shall we? What do we see Jesus doing for you? He is forgiving your past. He is walking with you in the present. That's the promise of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For why? Why? You are with me. He is promising you a place in the renewed world that is to come. He is weaving your story, your life, into something that, that brings him glory. He is meeting every single one of your struggles with grace and mercy. He, he's given you talents. He's given you callings. That's what your work and your family is. And these talents and these callings, they're meant to be playgrounds, not proving grounds. They're meant to be a playground where you, where you see and discover just how deep God's grace can go in you and just how far it can flow through you to your neighbor. That's what God in Jesus Christ is up to, and so much more. Now, if you, if you tighten your focus onto that, what Jesus has, is, and will do for you, if you tighten your focus on that kingdom and that activity that demands nothing of you, places no burden on you, but just blesses you and loves you, what do you think that that's going to produce in you? Peace. Now, as an aside, Jesus is not saying, when he says, seek first the kingdom, he's not saying that you should only ever think about him. What he's saying is that you should give special priority to what he's up to as the most dominant force, the thing that gets the best of your attention. Simplicity of focus is saying to yourself, I know what matters most. 
And I know what I want the theme of my life to be when my life is over. And the theme of my life is not going to be what my career asked of me. It's not going to be what the culture demands of me or the people who hurt me, what they stirred up in me. It will be what God and Jesus Christ has done for me. That will be the theme of my life. And you let everything else flow downhill from or be interpreted through the lens of that. Simplicity of focus. I know what matters most, what Christ has, is, and will do. And everything else gets interpreted by that. Now, let's get practical, okay? What does this look like to focus on the work of God and Jesus Christ for us and let it, let it produce peace in us? How do we foster a simple, singular aim in our lives? Well, what if this week, you and I, we made a commitment to clear out some of the distractions? to push away some of the other kingdoms and their influences? What if we sought to minimize and remove the things that sabotage our singular focus? Now, I told you that I'm, I'm in the middle of really wrestling with this, having been deeply convicted by some of the things that I've been reading and really asking myself, what does it mean to follow Jesus and live in the light of grace and mercy? I'm wrestling with this. And, and so this might sound silly to you, but here's, here's something that I have done. I have done a spring cleaning of the apps and alerts and the media and the messages and the digital distractions in my life. Those are are all the other kingdoms that come bombarding upon me and tell tell me what matters most and demand my attention and tell me constantly that I'm not doing enough, that I'm not accomplished enough, that I'm not enough. And And so I've tried to push those things out. What would it look like for you? But here's the biggest thing that I've been trying to apply to my life, and I'm going to invite you to do the same. And and this is something that the scriptures point us to over and over again, and that we see Jesus doing all the time. But fair warning, you might hate it. But I'm hoping that we can embrace it. And that thing that we need to embrace if we are to simplify our focus, experience more peace in our lives, and then let that flow through us into simplifying our existence in response to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is this. We must befriend silence. Silence so you can ruminate on the fact that in Jesus Christ you are loved and you are forgiven and you are defended and you are secure. Silence so you can feel the feelings and think the thoughts that typically get pushed away by an alert on your phone and actually process them through the lens of what you know to be true through Jesus Christ. Silence where you're not learning and listening to another podcast or replying to text messages or answering work emails or shaking your fist at the news. You're not giving attention to any other kingdom. You are just, as Jesus says, abiding You are dwelling. You are reflecting on the truth that you are loved, forgiven, defended, and secure in Jesus Christ. And then you are pondering what that means in the callings that you have, in the demands of the day, 
in the gifts that you've been given. Here's my challenge for you, for us. The challenge is for you to enjoy seven minutes of silence each day for the next week. Why seven? Because five just felt like eh, nothing, and seven sounds kind of holy and spiritual. <laughs> seven minutes of silence and stillness. And, and I'll give you a prompt, I'll give you a question to wrestle with in the middle of this silence and stillness. The, pres- the question is this Who am I in Christ? Sit in silence. Who am I in Christ? That'll draw you to these truths of I am am loved and forgiven, I am defended, I am secure. And and then take those answers and and then, then look at the to-do list of the day, the conversations that you're gonna have, the decisions you need to make, the stuff you're tempted to buy, the app you're, you're tempted to open. Like, review those things in light of these things, in light of who I am in Christ, that's, that's seeking first the kingdom and letting everything else be downhill of it. Here's what I think we'll find through, through, through like a practice of, of simplicity of focus on the thing that matters most. Here's here what I think we'll find. I think we'll find that it gives us greater freedom. I, I don't think many of us are aware of just how, how captive we are. Like the fact that I even mentioned like, you know, simplifying our lives and immediately like half of you go, hmm, because you know it might mean messing with your stuff or your money or your schedule and, and, and you immediately think it's impossible. If you truly can't, then you're not as free as you think you are. A simpler focus on this stuff gives you a greater freedom. And Jesus goes, talks about this. After he talks about, you know, don't be anxious, instead he, he says this, he offers this, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, now, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is not mandating that if you're one of his disciples that you have to sell all that you have and give to the poor, that you have to invest every single earthly resource in the values of heaven. He's not saying that you have to. He's making a point that with a simple singular focus on the kingdom of God, you don't have to do that, but you can. You can. because you have peace. So if that's what faithfulness required of you, you could. Because you know what matters most. It's not this. And and you have the peace of mind that knowing that, that because this kingdom is true, every other thing that you're tempted to worry about either doesn't really matter or is going to work out fine. You're free. I want to close with an example of this. Many of you are familiar with the Lutheran pastor and professor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived in Germany leading up to and into the Second World War, and he was a prolific writer and thinker. And he sought a life of deep discipleship. He was laser-focused on the teachings of Jesus and, and how the gospel changed your everyday life, or at least how it should, like give you this greater freedom and simplicity. And, and it led him to preach with clarity the love of God that is ours in Jesus Christ, even though we bring nothing. And it led him to live in very close community with other followers of Jesus where they focused on living simply and applying grace to every corner of their lives. He wrote extensively on Christian ethics, you know, basically like, in light of Jesus, what's right and what's wrong. And a portion of his writing on ethics captures what we're talking about. He says this, to be simple is to fix one's eyes solely on the simple truth of God at a time when all concepts are being confused, distorted, and turned upside down to fix one's eyes solely on the simple truth of God, who he is, what he's up to, how much he loves me, at a time when all concepts are being confused, distorted, turned upside down. Now, the early 1940s, when he writes this, is a time when everything is confused, distorted, and turned upside down. There's an immense amount of cultural confusion as Hitler is mobilizing against the world. And, and Bonhoeffer's simple, singular focus set him free to live with clarity and peace and conviction in a confused world. By the way, does our world feel very confused right now? Uh-huh. It freed him to be faithful to God alone, even if faithfulness meant refusing to turn his sermons into Nazi propaganda, as he was told. Even if it meant joining and leading a resistance against Hitler even if it meant being accused of treason, even if it meant being thrown into one of Hitler's death camps, even if it meant being hanged, which he was in April of 1945, just hours before his camp was liberated. It set him free as he was being taken to the gallows to look at his fellow prisoners with whom he was leading a Bible study at the moment he was grabbed and say to them, this is the end. But for me, it is the beginning. That's freedom. So free that if someone tries to take your life, they can't take your peace. How free are you? I'm thankful that you and I will never face in all likelihood what Bonhoeffer faced. But you and I, we will face something, something that will shake us, something that will challenge us, something that will one day require everything of us. And these other kingdoms with their other demands and their pressures, they will not prepare you for that thing. Your work, this culture, that the pressures of peers and friends, they, they will keep you distracted, they will keep you burdened, they will keep you lacking peace, absent clarity, feeling stuck, and leave you saying in the moment where it matters most, I don't know what to do, I don't know who to please, I don't know what's important. 
Will you have the freedom as you encounter whatever difficulty comes to face it with peace and to do whatever faithfulness to Jesus looks like for you? And again, I get that things may never be as bad for you as they were for Bonhoeffer, but if, but if you tell me you don't have peace and yet it's not possible for you to take even the simple step to simplify your life, you may not be in prison, but you are in fact in chains. The more I wrestle with the scriptures, the more I study the teachings of Jesus, the more I'm convinced the simplicity is something that he longs for us to experience. And it starts in the heart and the mind. What can you do to quiet the other kingdoms, to make space to dwell in and wrestle with the grace of God? For me, it starts with silence. May we experience the peace of mind, the clarity of conviction, and the freedom to be faithful that comes from simply seeking first the kingdom of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in an Easter world where sins are forgiven and death is defeated. We thank you for the fact that 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 victory over sin and death is given to us as a free gift, not earned, just enjoyed. Father, we, we ask that you would, you would help by the power of your spirit, that truth, to so infiltrate our lives, infiltrate our very being, that it sets us free to not be bound up by the causes and concerns of this world as utmost but to be caught up in the reality of that forgiveness and allow it to allow it to create a simpler, freer, more peaceful existence each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.